go ahead and turn your scriptures um, over to John chapter 15, toward the end, is where we'll be. And it, it occurred to me a couple things as I was studying this week that might just be helpful for us to continue in our minds to think through the context of John 14 through 16. The audience is... Uh, disciples, more specifically, the 11 apostles, right? Um, and the 11 apostles are concerned about what? The end of chapter 13. His leaving. He says, I'm going away. And they're concerned about that. And he starts 14.1 and says, Do not let your heart be troubled. I think we need to make sure we keep that in the forefront of our minds as we look through this. And I created a, some, some charts today. I know everybody loves charts. Um, but I created some charts uh, for you to have as a resource. I'll email them out. So don't feel like you've got to you know, take down some things. Probably don't want to anyways. But um, I've, I've created some charts uh, that we can walk through. Uh, just a couple things at the beginning before we jump into that John 15. Um, but before that, let's go to God in prayer asking Him to help us with this. <coughs> Our dear God, our King, uh, we are so impressed by your majesty and your glory. God, we're mindful of your high calling, as uh, our brother reminded us this morning, uh, to walk worthy of that calling. And uh, we pray, God, that this would not be an exercise of uh, mental ability, but God, that this study uh, would change our hearts, would mold us to be more and more uh, like your Son, to be more and more in His image um, to the world. And God, that we could encourage each other in this study. Help us, God, to, uh, to be exposed to You, to let our hearts um, be open to Your truth. Uh, we love You, God. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so a couple charts here that I want to talk about is the context in that John, uh, in 14 through 16, he is addressing the issue that the apostles are troubled. And in fact, there's a couple different places where Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you peace. I'm leaving peace, not like the world. I'm, I'm going to comfort you. I'm taking care of you. So here's some things that he says throughout this whole section. He's preparing a place. He's making a way for them. He's coming back, which we'll talk about in this next slide. Um, the Father will uh, grant blessings to you in his name, in, in, in Jesus' name. And then um, keep his commands, and you'll abide with him, and he'll be with you. He knows about the trials that are coming. I've told you this ahead of time so you would believe, he talks about. Um, he knows, excuse me, the last one, he will send the Holy Spirit to help you and to continue Jesus' work with them. So again, keeping this in our mind, that Jesus is, is trying to comfort them, strengthen them, um, because he is leaving. Now, look at, uh, look at the end of this section, 1625. 1625. If you feel like you've been a little challenged in trying to think, what is exactly is he talking about? Well, that was intentional. 1625, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when he won't. That word figurative language we use in English as like metaphors and similes. This, this is not talking about that. Figurative language in this sense is that it's an enigma, that it's mysterious. 
Okay, so I've spoken to you in a kind of a mysterious way, and that's actually used earlier in the book of John. They said, please, you know, don't speak, of, speak in figurative language in that way. So um, if you feel like, well, this has been, what exactly is he pinpointing here of some of the things he's saying? That's why. So that's why I have there, he is coming back, and an asterisk there. This next slide, Jesus is coming. He talks about, I'm going to come to you. He's leaving the thought to the Father, but I'm coming to you. We look at immediate coming in the flesh after he dies uh, in those passages, and we're going to look at today, 16, 16. A little while I'll be gone, but a little while you'll see me. So just a, just a couple days here, three days, and he's going to see him again. But then, 14, 16 through 18, kind of feels like he's coming to them. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'll be with you in the coming of the Spirit. Then 14.21 says, If anyone keeps my word, me and my Father will come to him. Jesus is coming again in that. And then the last one, 14.3, at the end of it, he says, I will come and I will take you or receive you to myself so that where I am, you will be. 17.24, he also prays that he wants them to see him in the glory that he had before the world began. Well, where's that going to be? Not on earth, right? And so we're looking at the foreshadowing of another coming. At the end of 21, remember, um, Peter says, well, what about that disciple over there? And Jesus says, well, what, if it, what if I will that he remains until I come? And what was the rumor that went out? Well, this guy's never going to die. So uh, they are looking forward to him coming back the same way that he left in Acts 1, 1 Thessalonians 4. There we will always be with the Lord. However, they also realize, Philippians 1, that we might die. You know, if I die, we'll be with the Lord then. And so there's a sense in which he came, in his, uh, he came to open the way for them right there after his resurrection and that he was declared to be the Son of God. But there's an ultimate sense in which we will always be with the Lord, whether that's he returns or like Paul says, I'll die and I'll be with him. So I just want to just clarify that if you felt like, well, what's coming are we talking about? It's because he's speaking in this enigmatic way to where it's not, it's not just talking about one event here. We're kind of looking at several at the same time. All right. I hope that that wasn't too crazy, but think on those things as I send, as I send that out to you. Um, let's look at where we left off. Uh, John 15... 26, 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. What will be the Holy Spirit's work? And I'll say one of the facets of the Holy Spirit's work. What will it be? Yeah, he's bringing to memory um, what, uh, what he said. But uh, in, the, in chapter 14, we see that. But here, it's a different kind of wording. He's testifying through them of what? Christ. Of Jesus, of Christ, of what they saw. Look at the very end of 27. Because you've been with me from the beginning. This just shows you the very immediate context here. I've never been with Jesus from the beginning, but they have. 
And so I'm, he's going to testify through you. Remember Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And that is a court of law sense. And that they will testify. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. And they will go all the way throughout the earth. You know, have you ever asked somebody, well, what was it like? You know, maybe you, you had a grandparent or you know, know some people that lived through the Great Depression. And you said, well, what was it like? And have you ever, or maybe, maybe one day, some people will ask us, what was it like to live through the COVID thing? Have you ever asked somebody that, and it was just kind of a disappointment when they answered? You were just kind of like hoping for more? Can I get some more about what was going on? I know that's happened to me. But did that ever happen to someone who wanted to know about Jesus from the apostles? Were they disappointed? Man, I just wish I knew more about Jesus. No. No. He brought to remembrance, he testified of who Jesus was, what he taught, what he was about here on earth. The disciples, and, and maybe even if you ask somebody, hey, next week I'm going to get together with you and I want to learn more about the depression. You might give them, they, they have a little bit more of a response if you give them some time. Did the apostles ever need time? Keep your finger there. Look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10 and verse 17, again, immediate context to the 12 here. Matthew 10, 17 through 20. Who's got that like to read? Go ahead, Del. But You just get a little bit more specific there about even in that very moment, who's going to be speaking? Will it be you who speaks? Who will it be? The Holy Spirit, who descends from the Father, um, the, uh, the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And so, uh, so here we're, we're seeing kind of that same delivering of that message to the apostles. It's just given differently. Um, and in fact, what, what Dale read some of the context of what, how they're going to be giving that message. It's not going to be in the bed of roses. It's not going to be really sweet times. It's going to be in really challenging times, and that's what we're looking at from chapter 16, 1, for the next few verses. Look at verse 2 of chapter 16 in John. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Yes, time is coming. Whoever kills you will think he offers God a service. What does that remind you of in the New Testament? Paul, right? Paul, um, sometimes uh, you hear people talk about Paul and they're like, man, he was such a bad dude. Was he really a bad dude? Was he really bad? Like, he just was evil? What was he trying to do? God's, he thought what God's will was. Yeah, he was trying to offer God a service and that these are, if they are not the truth, what are they? They're false prophets. And false prophets in the Old Testament, they needed to be extinguished. They're wrong, and they're leading people astray. So he's offering God a service. What about the first martyr, Stephen? What did they accuse him of? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. He's speaking out against the law and against this place, this temple. 
Well, there you go. We're serving God. He's not. So there'll be coming time. Jesus warns them ahead of time. The people will kill you because they're zealous for God, but they're not zealous in the right way. But why do they do those things? Look at verse 3. These things they do because they don't know who? They don't know God. They don't know the Father. And that's been a theme over and over again in this letter that we're reading that the Jews who should have known did not know God. Some of the people who knew the law best didn't discern what was happening, which is just a scary thought for me. You know, this passage in 2 Timothy where it says, always learning, but never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's scary. It's a really scary thought. That that's what that's what's happening in his day and continued on even after his resurrection. In verse 4, But these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus essentially says, I am telling you, this is going to happen. So don't be surprised. This is part of his comfort. This is part of his peace that he's giving them. Why didn't he tell them this at the beginning? Because he he was there with them all the time. Okay. And talking to them and trying to get them to understand on a one-to-one basis. Okay. Yeah, so there's part of it that he's, he's still with them. There's another part of it, too, of just the pattern of God. Everything that a Jew needs to know, is it found in Exodus? If you're a practicing Jew in you know, 1,000 B.C., is it, always, is it all found in Exodus? No, it's found also in later books that you have, to, you have to piece together. Revelation is progressive. That's the way that the New Testament operates, too. And so Jesus is not, it's not giving everything to them, but they'll have a fuller picture, and we will have a fuller picture once the apostles are guided into all truth. Now, verse 5 through 7, I'll just say, when, when you read that in the reading, it feels a little weird to us because he says, well, none of you ask. Well, they did actually ask in 1336 um, about him leaving. But I just think it's to further contrast here. I'm trying to tell you, this is a good thing. It's an advantage, even, that I go. Um, and this is also where we see Jesus talking about going for good um, and that I'll be leaving. Um, so, any other questions or comments down to verse 7? Uh, verse 7. It's advantage that I go away. It's a good thing. Yes, sir? Don't you think when he says they didn't ask, mm-hmm. we know we have evidence that they did, but they, they didn't ask the right questions because they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And they should have known. Yeah. Because this is what... The old law was bringing them to. This is what he's been alluding to the whole time. Right. But still, they were so confused at yes. the way things are about to go. And yes. Explaining that to them too. Absolutely. And then they should have known because they were better students, better students of the law. Other thoughts? Questions? Yes, sir. Well, Peter certainly asked. That's right. Law in chapter eighteen about. Maybe even to the point of, well, when are you going to establish an earth 
Sure. Yeah. Repeating what's said, you know, my kingdom is not of this world, but right. you know, does that sink in? Right. Does it influence how you understand it? Remember putting in the other Gospels that uh, into this story that he's already told them three times very clearly, I will die, and I will rise on the third day. Um, and I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles by the Jews, by the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. He's told them very clearly that, but they're still just like, what? Because, as Dale mentioned, it's not in their category. It's not in their thinking that they could, that the king would actually do that. And it doesn't make any sense to them. Um, so just, again, another good fair warning to us. Let's not put Jesus in our own box here. All right, verse 7. I'll send him. Notice, he, uh, the Holy Spirit, will come from the Father, but Jesus will send him as his representative. Look at 14. He will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take of what is mine, declare it to you. Now, no surprise what he says in 15. He said it all the way through the book of John. All things that the Father's are mine, that the, that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Father gives everything to Jesus. Jesus is giving everything to the Holy Spirit. You see this progression there. We'll talk more about that. Why is that? I think there's a reason for that. Um, but there is there's some important bracketing there. So look at, look at 7 down to 15. The beginning and the end, it's about Jesus. That the Holy Spirit's going to come and glorify him. So the stuff in the middle, we need to think through in that way. Um, this is really important because uh, the work of the Spirit is directly tied to Jesus' work in the world. Did you see that? Verse 8, when he's come, he will convict the world. And we've talked about how John uses the word world more than any other book in the New Testament. This idea of the order of things, the cosmos you are of the world, I'm not of the world, Jesus says. The prince of this world uh, is talked about in John. Verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Which one of those is more important? That's a trick question. <laughs> it might be unwise for us to try to tease those out so far that they're just so disconnected from each other. See what I'm saying? I feel like those things are kind of a package deal. Those are important concepts that relate to each other. Think about how important all three of those things are to God's message. But how? How will he convict? Um, your version might say convict. Um, that word most often is used, it kind of helps, um, is used to prove wrong someone's sin or to reprove them. Um, so... We're going to walk through this, and I'll just tell you, I'm not kidding about this, there are literally 15 different interpretations of each one of these verses. I mean, you can just, you can just keep piling on. Lots of different ways this can be taken. Um, and I, I'm not going to say that this is the exact perfect way to take it. Um, I'm also not going to exhaust everything. Um, I think um, uh, Sam Tipton did a great job a couple months ago about kind of working through each one of them in much more detail than I will today about what the Holy Spirit was going to do in the world. But in the fact, that this is what I want to try to hone in on. The fact that after he says that the Holy Spirit's going to do something, what's the next line? 
it's, it relates back to Jesus. Because, because, and it relates back to Jesus. So I think we, we want to we wanna put those two things together. The Holy Spirit's working, but why? What's he doing in relation to what Jesus has done? So look at 16.9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. He's going to prove wrong or convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus. Look at 824. 824. Jesus has already done this. Um, Jesus has already stated that this is what's going to happen in the world with their sin. Um, John 824 Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Notice the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. 15.22. Who's got that? Let's read that. 15.22. Yes, sir. Blake. If I had not come spoken to them... They would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Okay, so Jesus has convicted these Jews and therefore the world. If you do not believe in him, you have sinned and you will be in sin. Um, so I believe that the Holy Spirit is just continuing that work that Jesus started. Uh, thoughts or comments on that before we move to 10? Okay, the next one's a little. A little more complicated. And concerning righteousness. Okay? Just that, that concept alone. But then this is a little strange. Because I go to the Father. And you no longer see me. This is where um, I talked about last week about definitions sometimes will throw us off a little bit. What is this? The standard, somebody's got it, the standard definition for righteousness. Doing right. Doing right. Right wayness. Well, does God always do right? Yes. Um, so we don't have any, 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 uh, any problems understanding God's morality. He always does right. But the scriptures use righteousness in a deeper sense than just that with God. God's righteousness is what gave Jesus. Okay, so we'll talk about that. Let's first talk about this first verse I have up here. Again, you don't feel like you need to write all these. I'm going to send these out. Isaiah 52, 7. You, you're familiar with the passage where how beautiful the feet of the peace, or the, excuse me, the feet of the peace, the, the, the feet of those who bring peace. That is a quote from Isaiah 52, 7. And what they say in Isaiah 52, 7 is, your God reigns. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, the good news is God reigns. Well, God's always reigned. Right? So what's different? Acts 2.32, we're going to look at in the lesson, but the very first gospel sermon, it's not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but what did God do after he rose from the dead? He, he exalted him to the right hand. Your God reigns. Uh, and then Isaiah, or excuse me, um, Acts 3.21, that Jesus has been received up into heaven until the restoration of all things, until it's all round up, it's all done. 
He is reigning. Now we know that the kingdom of God is here. Acts 17.31, that God has chosen him to judge the world. He's the king. He's the judge of the world. Then that Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the, of the uh, gospel of God, for it is the power of God and the salvation, for in it the righteousness of God has been revealed. <laughs> Romans 3.21, that the righteousness of God that's revealed is not that he was morally perfect. <coughs> Not what Romans 3.21 and following says. What was the righteousness of God? That he was faithful to us and sent his son. And so when the Holy Spirit is going out from here and to the apostles and he's speaking these messages, he's saying, Jesus is gone to the Father. He is reigning. And if you want to be right with God, if you want to know his righteousness, that he was faithful to you, then you need to submit your life to him. That's, what, that's the way I connected here with Jesus. And there might be other thoughts, and that's fine. Like I said, there's lots of ways that people have, because the Bible's so connected, it's not, I don't think that it's so mysterious, but it's just very connected. Any, any other comments on that? All right, that was a lot, but think on those things. I'm not asking you to trust me. Just think on those things, study for yourself. The last one, and concerning judgment... <clears throat> Because the ruler of this world has been judged. Well, what has been said about Jesus in that? There's this context here. Look at 8.26. John 8.26. Who's got that? Go ahead. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So Jesus came judging the world. He's got many more things to say about judging you. Look at 939. Who's got that one? Yes, ma'am. Jesus said... Right, so in some passages, Jesus says, I didn't come and judge the world. But in other passages, he is judging the world because, as, as she read, those who think they can see are really what? Blind. He's, he's judging them when he reveals the truth, that they're not really what they think they are. But then there's this concept in 1327 that, um, that the evil one, or Satan, is coming... Actually, it even begins back in the beginning of 13. But 13.27, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly to Judas Iscariot. And then 14.30, when he's talking just to the 11, he says, I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And he has nothing in me. So Satan's coming. He's coming because he is a part of this work of evil by lawless hands. Look at, uh, back to John 12. And what, when he comes, what is Jesus going to do with him? Look at John 12, 31 and 32. Who's got that? Go ahead, Chance. Now is the judgment of this world. 
Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Okay, so Jesus, when he is lifted up, the ruler of this world is cast out. The king of uh, this, this world, his kingdom, all of the things he tries to reign uh, as Jesus, it see, you see in the Gospels, he's taking power away from him and, and taking the demons out of people. And eventually, when, he is, when the world judges him on the cross, he is actually judging all wickedness. And that includes the ruler of that world. That's the world idea. Um, and so, then, what's the point? That, that the Spirit's just going to continue preaching that message that the devil has been conquered. That that's, that's what Jesus came to do he, when he rose, uh, when he um, lift, was lifted up and he died. He's actually conquering death and the fear of death. First John, I love this. Let's look at that for just a second. Um, notice just the confidence now that we have over this ruler of the world and over the wickedness and the lies um, through the Spirit at this point. The Spirit has taught them what they need to know to these disciples, to the Christians. Look at 1 John 5, 18 through 20. Who's got that? Yes, sir. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God and the eternal life notice the we know the we know by this point in the first century we know that the whole world is run by the devil but we know that we can keep ourselves from him we know that we are in the true God not the godless world so looking back on that, that's what the Holy Spirit accomplished after Jesus rose, uh, was resurrected and then exalted. The Holy Spirit convinced um, the Christians and convinced the world of who they really were. Are you in the devil's kingdom or are you in God's kingdom? Other thoughts or questions down to 11? Not sure I can answer them, but I'll try. All right. That was either helpful or really confusing. Let me know afterwards. <laughs> Say no more charts, please. No more. And it's true. There, there are no more. So, um, I think, yeah, there you go. Some further notes, going back to John 16. Some further notes that I want to, to make about this time of the Spirit coming. Notice the emphasis there in 1612. Um, actually, sorry. Um, yes, sorry. I was looking for one, one other passage. So 1612, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. 1613, right there in the middle, he says he's going to tell you of things to come. I have more to tell you. The truth that will be revealed to them will be the completed revelation <coughs> that we have now to please him. Think about it. How would Israel in the Old Testament, what's prophesied about when they're restored, how would Israel conquer the nations? How would they go and possess the Edomites? With the sword. Well, what was prophesied about? That they would do that in the new kingdom. 
They don't really know how that's going to work. They're thinking, like Dale said earlier, like well, we're going to get our Messiah back and we're going to go kick some tail of all these you know, countries around us. We're going to be on top. It wasn't quite revealed to them how they would possess them. But in Daniel 2, what does the kingdom of God do? It, it grows and it possesses the whole earth, but not through military power. What about this one? What did Jesus mean in John 10 when he's talking about being a good shepherd and he's, he's giving these illustrations and then all of a sudden he just says, you know, I've got other sheep, not of this fold. <coughs> Wait, what? You know, they just, these things were just not quite revealed to them. What, what, what was going on? So this is what I was going to tell you about. The Father gives the Son, the Son gives the Spirit in this way, as we see in, in these texts. He'll, he'll glorify me. This has been really helpful to me. So take this for what it's worth, maybe for you too. The whole of human existence can be summed up in three parts. God the Father, from creation to 0 AD. God the Son, from 0 to 33. God the Spirit, from 33 on. That's it. That's all, of, that's all of humanity. From 33 on. This is why Paul says, we are at the ends of the ages. There are no more ages to come. We are at the ends of them. This is why, when Jesus says, which sounds outrageous, because you know who Jesus is, this is when Jesus says, if you blaspheme the Son... What's going to happen to you? You'll be forgiven. But he says, he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness. Why? It's not because the Holy Spirit's greater, but because there will be no more. Once the Holy Spirit comes, you speak out against him and his truth and his teaching through the apostles and through the prophets of the New Testament church, there'll be no more for you. That's it. It's the last chance for humanity. No more things to come. <coughs> Then, then, just the other note I have, the Holy Spirit will convict the world, as in prove that they're wrong. How will he do that? The reason why I want to bring this up, when you look at 15, 26, 27, you look at 14, 26, we're talking about words. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about words, actual words. It is very, it's a very popular belief today that if I have God's Spirit, then God's Spirit will give me impressions, will give me some leadings. There's a difference between what Galatians 5, Romans 8 teach, to be led by the Spirit is life, and what the Spirit gives, versus I felt led. See the difference? There's a big difference there. And what is taught here is that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal all truth, not through impressions, not through emotions, not through feelings or experiences, but through argumentation, through teaching. And so that's just important for us to see in the original context of how the Holy Spirit was going to impact the apostles. It was not through leadings. Um, and so other questions down to 15 or, or comments. And y'all are just wanting to go build a snowman today. Like, can we just roll out? I know that's what Denver is thinking right now. <laughs> All right, let's look at 16 through 24. You see that in 16, he says, a little while you won't see, and then a little while you will see. 
You know, so you see this short time he has, you know, before he leaves, but he's only going to be gone for three days. And then they have this side conversation. And um, they say, well, the apostles do. Well, what, is he, what do you think he's talking about there? And um, Jesus, Jesus knows that they're talking about that. And he calls them out for that. What, what are you talking about? Um, and uh, Jesus knew that in verse 19. And then verse 20, you have, and I'll just say before we move to 20, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be too hard on them. Again, they have no category in their mind. It was not fully revealed that this Messiah was going to die, raise, and abandon his people in favor of another helper. I'm going, but it's to your advantage. I'm going to give you somebody, whoa, 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 no, 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 you're the key. You're not going anywhere. These things have just not really been fully revealed. So I don't, I don't blame them for this. Um, so Jesus knew that they were wanting to know, so he explains to them what that meant about a little while and a little after. Verse 20 is just a beautiful picture. Most assuredly, I say to you, you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. The world will rejoice at his death, but you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. What's implied here, and what he said back in 1231, is that the world will be judged. They are joyous about this, but their joy is eventually going to be turned into what? Sorrow, sorrow and fear of the great king. So this reversal that Jesus is teaching. Then 21, uh, a lot of other people in the room, ladies, can talk about this verse better than I can. This parable of the pain of childbirth. What did you see as the point there, that uh, you have this great pain in childbirth, but what's the point? You, you say you don't remember it after, after it's over? Does anybody else not remember it? <laughs> but, but in comparison, right, that's the idea. In comparison, just the great joy versus the pain, which just was a little bit, think about it, compared to the joy that would last of having a new child. You know, God's always shown us, this is actually, this illustration is used a lot in the scriptures. He's always shown us that he can bring life through pain. He's always shown us that. And that pain is worth the joy that follows. So it's an incredibly deep parable with lots of applications. Paul talks about it, says we can just have a momentary light affliction in this world because we know the glory ahead. But this begs the question, begs to ask the question in verse 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again. Your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. If you ask me, can someone take my joy? Jesus says, no one will be able to take your joy. So just think about that for yourself. Am I at the whims of other people, or do I know that he reigns? Verse 23, in that day you'll ask me nothing. It seems to be saying in that day specifically when they have this joy, when he's shown, when he appears to them, they're not going to have any needs. They're going to be in great joy. Um, he's risen. Their fear subsides. They don't have these questions anymore about what do you mean by a little while, a little. But then 23, uh, at the end of it, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you, seems to then indicate there's this change in relationship. Why is there a change? 
How can you get to the Father? John 14, 6. Through Jesus. You can't get through the, to the Father through Jesus while He's on earth. As in, before He dies, He has provided a new and living way. Hebrews 10 teaches us that. Any questions, comments, down to verse 24? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, when, I, when I partake of the Lord's Supper sometimes, I, I try to take myself to that place. When, when the apostles, after Jesus died, are in confusion, they don't know if the kingdom is coming. You know, and we're so, we're so blessed to be on this side of the yeah. ascension. Jesus is <coughs> reigning. But, but to really feel the cross, sometimes this is where I go to Jesus' words that, you know, it's going to be very hard. And just feeling that is, uh, so it, it breaks your heart. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're going to have to experience that. And even though it is so short, it was, it was very real and so scary. Yeah. And not, not understanding what the kingdom was. And Jesus', Jesus death, that doesn't make sense for a king. And, and all of these things going through their mind, those waves of emotion. Just reminds us how blessed we are. Amen. Um, just to summarize quickly, uh, I'm not going to get all of it, but just the idea that this is an, a great passage to read at the Lord's Supper when you're meditating on this in your pew or whenever, that we are blessed on the other side of this, but there was a time when it was very troubling, when it was very challenging to them, but also the great joy. Uh, very great thought. Yes, sir? To me, too, that's, you know, that is the peace that surpasses surpasses all understanding. You know, the world might look at us, or even us being in this world, looking around, how can we have peace? How can we, you know, know peace? But, but that's how. Because we know that we are God's. We know we're God's, you know, we're not worried about death, we're not worried about wars, we're not worried about anything, because we know what we have waiting for us. Amen. Yeah, Kobe just said that um, this, is, this is that peace that passes all understanding when we know that we have conquered, we've conquered death. Uh, through him, because he conquered death, and um, it'd be great reminders for us. We need, to, we need to be thinking about that whenever this world is kind of in tatters. So, other things? Yes, sir. Which that's daily. That's daily for us. We're right. we're experiencing physical things all day, every day. We have right. things that we have to do. We have things that are time constraints we have to meet, and the physical things keep us busy and keep us distracted from looking at the real thing. To me, it's like the little kids in, in school. Man, school stinks sometimes for them. You gotta do this and you gotta do this, but you're getting ready for your real life. Right. And those things that you're experiencing now are nothing compared to the great life you can have. And and even on the transfiguration when Jesus is, is about to go, they say, Well, is the kingdom now? And they still didn't get it because they were so distracted by the immediate pains and sufferings they were having. We still, we still experience that every day. Yeah. So just to, just to color um, Kobe's comment about the world, um, Blake, is not, it's not just about the world. It's about even our daily struggles. It's our daily situations that, and I'm reminded of that question to myself, no, nobody can take the joy from you, but maybe I can. <laughs> Austin can take my joy. Um, and so we also need to be thinking about that too, um, the pains, the sufferings, or the challenges in our life. Um, Looking at this point, <coughs> yes, sir. Can I be controversial? No, no controversy in this class. Just speaking about the Lord's Supper. Yes, sir. 
when a lot of people have the idea that the only time we even think about that is when we go up there. They want to all of a sudden say something that's going to make you think about it. And I'm thinking like Blake here. If you don't carry out this in the world, and you're not preparing yourself for that. You're not doing it in the memory of Christ in the morning. It's not for us to begin to think about it and have a deeper understanding at that moment. That is something that we do in our daily lives continually once you and learn about it. And uh, you need to be careful because you don't want to eat and drink that next to yourself. Sure. Yeah, um, so uh, Mike said so many controversial things I can't even repeat them. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you in that um, we, can't, we have to be balanced. Um, it's the same idea with, uh, with singing and worshiping God. Um, there's lots of examples in the New Testament even of people singing outside of the assembly. Um, we, need to, we need to not just reserve our worship to him, our honoring of him, just on a very specific time scale. Um, and so I appreciate that as well. All right, 16, 25 through 33. I'm going to cover this fairly quickly. 25 through 27, it sounds very similar to the, the, the previous couple verses, but it seems to clarify there that it's not just that Jesus has a new role that they'll be able to ask the Father, but that the Father knows that they are faithful. Uh, verse 27, for the Father himself loves you. It's not just that Jesus does all this amazing stuff and please just talk to the Father for us. No, the Father loves you too. Um, I think that's a clarification there. And then they all make this confession. Now we know because you're speaking plainly that you know all things. And because of that, we know you came forth from God. It sounds really good, what they say. But how did that turn out for them in the, in the section? Did Jesus say, well, yeah, you get it. That's the way that that helps us to interpret what they actually are saying. They're, they're getting something, and they're kind of agreeing with Jesus. Yeah, like we know. And Jesus says, well, there'll be a time soon when you're all going to run. Um, so you're going to be tested. Now you believe, but what about when you scatter? And we learn here, it wasn't just Peter who would deny him. He says, you're all scattered. They don't want to be counted. They don't want to stand up. They don't want to stand up and be associated with Jesus tonight. <coughs> because of the persecution, because of the, the fear, all of those things. Um, <clears throat> so they you know, it, it implies that they believe he was from God, and we know that, but they just didn't get all the things that he was saying, or they wouldn't have faltered. They would have just said, okay, this is the plan, this is what's going on. But they were like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Um, which, I, again, I, don't, I try to be too hard on them, because um, they didn't know a lot of stuff. Uh, verse 33, what a beautiful passage. It finishes with the expectation that all of them are going to go through what? Tribulation, as we've talked about. But, just as he started the whole chapter 14 uh, through this section before he starts praying in 17, they shouldn't be troubled. Why? He's overcome the world. He has triumphed over it. Any other thoughts or questions down to 33? We mentioned in the other disciples. Um, I was preparing for chapter 18, and uh, you know, that's near where Peter uh, 
fled. They didn't know what to do. They ran away. And by the time they got Jesus to the uh, court of the uh, high priest, mm-hmm. uh, there's probably just two, the only two that were mentioned as coming back and looking and wondering what's going on. Right, right. But still, even then, they don't want to be associated with them. You know, because um, the fear, right? Um, so yeah, uh, there's there's a, there's some more nuances to this. Um, you can't take it too exact because you see John at the cross, but in the moment of this is all going down, they they just completely lose their mind because this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you so much for your participation uh, this morning, and um, I'll send those things out as we think on those things. Thank you.